Let's do this. Welcome to episode 177 of In the Huddle. Can you dig sports radio? Recapping everything that went down in the NFL during week number nine. We have officially approached, they call it the unofficial halfway point of the NFL season. It's halfway done. We have the second half to go. We have the playoffs, which are the best time of year, obviously. But one thing remains the same on this show, in the huddle, Can You Dig Sports Radio? We will be talking football, breaking it all down. My name is Zach Kroll. My guy, the real Lil, is here with me today. Lil, my guy, I hope you're doing well. I hope you enjoyed your weekend, and I also hope you're ready to talk some football. I know you are. Yes, sir. I mean, listen, the weekend passed, it came and went, and there was a lot of things going on in the sports world that I can't wait to touch on today's show. I'm glad that we can link up and do this show, man. I know me and Zay, we hit it off with a show on Monday's episode. It's time for us to double up. I don't know how I'm going to feel throughout the end of the week because a brother feel a little bit under the weather, but you know what? I'm still here to deliver my best performance as I can, and I will. And Zach, man, I think it's about that time we get right to it. There's a lot that would happen. Upset Sunday, we're going to call it in the NFL. A lot of upsets, and it's time to talk about which teams got their reality check on Sunday. Without further ado, Will, let's get right to it. One of those upsets that you mentioned, Sunday night football, the Tennessee Titans, their first game without star running back Derrick Henry. They go in to Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium, and they beat up the Rams pretty badly. There was never really a moment in this game where you expected the Rams to win. Props to the Titans. They end up getting the dub by a final score of 28-16. to 16. And considering what else happened in the AFC yesterday, Will, when we look at Buffalo going down to Jacksonville, we look at Baltimore. They were in a very close neck-and-neck game with the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, Kansas City uh, has really struggled. When you look at these Tennessee Titans, it's unfortunate. Derrick Henry, who was the heart and soul of their team, he went down. But in their first game yesterday, they really stepped it up. What were your thoughts on that performance and what does the future outlook for this Titan team look like going forward for the rest of this year? Well, when we talk about the Tennessee Titans, we have to remember the Tennessee Titans, right? The famous movie, we know that. But at the same time, when we remember the Titans, we will remember for the last couple of seasons, especially this year, that this team is resilient. And it comes at a credit to head coach Mike Vrabel. When we talked about this team this year, a lot of it was how would this team react to the loss of Arthur Smith. He basically got a lot of credit for Ryan Tannehill's development, for this development of the makeup of this team. And Mike Vrabel, he kind of got some credit, but not fully. We need to look at this team and realize that this team is built for the next man up mentality. You just lost your king, but yet you were still able to defend your kingdom on Sunday in the highest of highs in a prestigious game to go on the road playing against a high obtained team that a lot of people, not me, not I, but a lot of people point to being the Super Bowl favorite. And you won that game on the road and you look good doing it. And all I've seen from this team, even after the loss of the Jets, I didn't really put too much stock into it because I know the mental makeup of this team being down in Seattle by two scores. They always find a way to come back. They don't lose too straight. They do not lose two straight. I can't remember the last time I saw this team lose two straight games. Now let's talk about four straight games. Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and Rams. Impressive. Now, one major takeaway that I would take before I get to the outlook and what potentially looms down the line is that I wanted to see, without Derrick Henry, will this team abandon 
that formula to win, play action, run the ball, and just throw 35, 40 times a game with Ryan Tannehill and them two wide receivers they got? And I kind of got my answer. They're going to still remain who they are. Not panic, not lose their identity. They're still going to run the football with AP, whatever's left of him. Um, um, with Simmons, whatever he can do, whether it be third down, whatever. They're still going to run their offense. They were down, they were up 14 to 3 in this game. Fourth and goal, right? They said, you know what? We're going to bypass the field goal, even without Derrick Henry. Fourth and goal, we fake a handoff. Green grass, nothing but green on the other side for Ryan Tannehill, Mr. Tannehill, that is. Easy walking touchdown. They're still one of the same plays that they would if Derrick Henry were there. And I think that if they continue to win games like this, this was the hardest game on the remaining schedule. Now, you can look at a New England game down the line and say that's tough, the way how New England has been playing the last three weeks. But this right here, if you told everybody on paper which team was the hardest team left on their schedule, they'll point to the Rams. Well, guess what? They beat the Rams, and they beat them up. So the outlook for this team should remain winning the football games and winning, most importantly, this division, which I do believe they can, especially because the defense has been stepping up as of late as well. Um, Jeffrey Simmons, three of the five sacks on Matthew Stafford. Didn't allow Matthew Stafford and his high-obtained offense to get in the rhythm. They shut them with a lie. This defense has been the unsung hero of this team, and I remember interviewing Tuan Dalvinport, who covers this team daily and travels with this team, and he told me, look, I know this defense was bad last year, historically bad, but these are another year for these guys to get reps, a new system to get reps and uh, acquisition of Bud Dupree. I do believe this defense will play much better. And guess what? He wasn't lying. Yeah, so a lot to take down from the Titans' impressive win over the Rams. You started off with Mike Vrabel, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about him and the job that he's done with this Titans team. Will, we talk about it all the time on this show, right? I'm known as the coach's guy. You know how much I care about a good coach, and if you have a good coach, that's going to give you the opportunity to win a lot of football games. But it's weird. When we look at some of the elite coaches of not even years past, but really like this year and the last couple of years, um, we've had some really good offensive coaches, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, guys that when they call plays, they're very, it's very easy for us to see as a fan that these offenses are run really well and offense sells tickets. We get all that, but for the defensive coaches, sometimes it takes a little bit more time. For the defensive coaches, sometimes we don't realize right away, or for some reason, we just don't put, give them enough credit for the jobs uh, that they have done. But Mike Vrabel, this is a guy that learned football from Bill Belichick. He played with Tom Brady on the Patriots. He won multiple Super Bowls as a player, and he was a hard knock star. He got this Titans job. All he's done since he's got it is one, but... For some reason, we don't really talk about Mike Vrabel in the same conversations in terms of best coaches around the league in the NFL. The bottom line is, all this guy does is win. He's 18-7 the last two years, and then the year before that, he just ended the greatest dynasty in football history, and they beat the Ravens, the number one seed, Lamar Jackson MVP, Earl Thomas still hasn't recovered from that Derrick Henry stiff arm, and the Titans are legit. They win football games. Another compliment I'll give Mike Vrabel is when we evaluate coaches, right? A lot of times we just go based on uh, what we see from the game film. But part of being a great head coach is your staff, 
you are not going to succeed hiring just friends from the country club that you think would make a good time. You have to hire the right coordinators. And Mike Vrabel decided to hire some guy named Matt LaFleur, a quarterback coach from the Atlanta Falcons. And he all of a sudden becomes a head coach for the Green Bay Packers. After Matt LaFleur leaves, he decides to keep his tight end coach and make him the offensive coordinator. Some guy named Arthur Smith and the Falcons are actually playing pretty good football. He deserves credit. And then he takes Todd Dowling, a guy who the last time he was an offensive coordinator was Jack Del Rio's last year as the Raiders head coach. Their offense was terrible, but Mike Vrabel decides, all right, we'll bring this guy in, and he's good. Their defense has improved. They have a new defensive coordinator, Shane Bowen. He deserves a lot of credit. And the fact that they were able to do this without Derrick Henry going on the road and not only beating the Rams, they annihilated them. They punched them in the mouth and dominated from start to finish. Their defense stepped up. I'm really impressed with the Titans and in a wide open AFC. I saw Buffalo lose to Jacksonville yesterday. Baltimore is a really good team, but I think Lamar Jackson is really what's carrying them. If he messes up, I think the Ravens are going to have a tough time winning football games. Kansas City has had their struggles. Tennessee is already uh, 2-0 against Indianapolis, and obviously the loss of Derrick Henry is going to hurt, but I'm just so impressed with the heart and soul of this Titans team. It was a very impressive win. Well, that's still out there as a reminder that it's not concluded that Derrick Henry's season is over. Everybody heals differently. They haven't put a time stamp on when he can't return. They may win, get to the playoffs, and let's say he might be back for the divisional round, whatever the round is, he may be back. So that window is not officially shut, which is scary because if he does come back, depending on how he feels after getting hurt, listen, he's a different specimen. So I'm pretty, I won't rule it out that he could come back and still contribute based on his attention and what he grabs alone in the box. All right, he still could be that impact guy, even half himself. This will make this team dangerous because this team is built to win in cold weather, go to Lambeau type of games, which is run the rock, just, you know, short passing game, deep passing game, play action. They are built to win games like this and upset a team that is afraid to win against them. And like I said, what they've been through with COVID last year, just everything, they always rose. They always rose to the task. Even some of the games that they lost, where they were getting blown, blown out, like the Browns, they came back and battled back in that game. Seattle this year, down two scores, came back and battled. I'm just impressed with this team, and I think we have to give them that credit because it starts with Mike Vrabel, and he has been doing a good job of coaching this team going down the line. So as far as the Rams is concerned, and I tell people this all the time because I've been watching sports and the NFL, for that matter, for a pretty damn long time. And what I notice about professional sports, in particular the NFL, where we will see on a given night that the Jaguars with Urban Meyer can defeat a team like the Bills, nothing is a given. So you're not going to hand me a piece of paper and I'm going to look at it and say, oh, my God, Matthew Stafford, upgrade. You know, Von Miller, oh, my gosh, Jalen Ramsey, oh, my gosh. I mean, the list goes on, wide receivers, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, he is a guy, all right? That's not going to say, Lil, that's a championship right out the gate. It's not. That's not how football is. Football is how good you play in January is what counts. That home field thing, yeah, that may have an impact, maybe, maybe not. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's two teams in a in stadium. When it's cold, okay, going at it to, for the right to go to the next round and go to the Super Bowl. So when I looked at that piece of paper, I said, you know what? Yes, Matthew Stafford is an upgrade. 
but how much if we really look at that upgrade is that upgrade big enough that it separates them from being a championship contender considering the fact that they got there you know like it i don't know looking at that game not saying that they shouldn't have made the move because i know zach that will probably be your next question if i bring up something like that during the comparison game i would have made the move too but it's like, how much of a upgrade are we talking about here? Because that brother is 0-3 in playoffs. Now, I don't know what light you think is going to turn off once y'all get to January with him at the helm. Because clearly the talent is there, but the experience, there was these big games are not always there with um, Matthew Stafford. If you check, fact check his history. So that's the thing when it comes to this team. I still think Von Miller is a, you know, a decent pickup. I don't know how impactful it would be for this team going down the line because I'm just not looking at the paper. You know, a lot of people are looking at the paper when it comes to this team, but I'm just not. And I think that was more than evident when the Tennessee Titans on demand without their best player was still able to go in there and beat them down in their home field and win that game on Sunday night. So uh, part of the reason why I really liked the Rams decision to go get Matthew Stafford was because I thought that even though historically, like he's had a very tough time winning playoff games, he hasn't won one, but I have always said that going from a situation like Detroit, which is literally football purgatory where no one wins, no one succeeds to LA and a quarterback friendly system with Sean McVay. I really liked that fit for Matthew Stafford, but we saw last night that like Sean McVay did not have his best game. Mike Vrabel ran circles around him. It was not a good performance. The Rams' offensive line got punked. That was pathetic, their effort. And to be honest, I don't really, like, I'm not, obviously Matthew Stafford didn't play great, but, like, I think the Rams' offensive line was really what lost them yeah. the game. That was their number one culprit. But whatever, you're right. Matthew Stafford needs to play better. Um, I just think that it was a bad game. Like, I'm not going to panic and, and hit the, the panic button yet, but... It's going to be an interesting next couple weeks for the Rams because as great of a head coach as Sean McVay is, and you know I'm a huge fan, he gets very conservative sometimes. Like, I didn't love the decision when it was 21-6 to to kick a field goal to make it 21-9. It, it was a two-possession game either way. Sometimes he gets a little bit too conservative like that. Even the week before, the, Texan, or the Rams were up 38-0 to the Texans, and they won, but the Texans scored 22 points in a row to end up covering that game. So I feel like the Rams are a team right now that may be coasting a little bit through the regular season. We've seen, you know, we saw plenty of teams uh, as heavy favorites lose yesterday, Dallas and Buffalo included. So, you know, it was a weird Sunday. I'm not going to completely hit the panic button just yet, but we're going to get into uh, another team in the NFC West that uh, the Rams are going to be competing with shortly that I think like when you compare the Rams to some of the other teams in the NFC and really the NFL right now, uh, the, the way they played last night, they're obviously not they're obviously not going to win many games like that. And they have their flaws. They're top heavy. But McVay and uh, Kroenke, Sneed, they gave up all of their first round picks and said, we're going all in this year. So it's a big year, man. You know how important it is for them. Yeah, and I thought that, you're right, I'm not going to put all the blame on Matthew Stafford, but there were some plays as, you know, it pertains to him in the end zone, in the back of his end zone. We blame Carson Wentz for that. Why we can't blame Matthew Stafford for that? You got you know what I'm saying? I'm not a Carson Wentz guy, but if we're going to blame Carson Wentz for that mistake, we need to have the same energy when it comes to Matthew Stafford. Then on the next possession, he literally Keenan locks into his receiver and throws an interception. Lock, it, lock into his receiver. The defender was able to jump the route, take it to the house. So Make even the mistake though that, um, like from a guy who has been in the league for so long, you wouldn't expect that. And that's yeah. it, it's almost like Sam Darnold in a way. 
Uh, like he's he's in his fourth year and he's still making these head scratching mistakes. It's almost like that. He's a really good player and I think he's really talented. But every once in a while, he makes that mistake that really makes you scratch your head. Absolutely. He makes a lot of those mistakes that makes me scratch my head. But that's another topic for another day here. But um, yeah, once again, when it comes to the Rams, I'm not saying hit the panic button. I'm not saying the moves that they made non-traditionally is going to backfire. We have to see for our own two eyes. But what I'm saying is the Rams, a team like the Cowboys, a team like the Bills, they got their reality check. The 49ers we're going to touch on, they all got their reality check in different ways. The, the Rams' way was we're not going to cruise and bruise our way to a Super Bowl victory. It's not going to happen that easily. This is still the NFL we're talking about here. The other teams will get to some of those teams and what their reality check tells them going forward. All right, well, I wanted to get to a team in the 1 o'clock slate yesterday, in the AFC. They really impressed me yesterday, and that is the Cleveland Browns. This is a team that has been dealing with a lot off the field of late regarding everything going on with the OBJ fiasco. And they had a big game yesterday going on the road to Cincinnati, a division rival taking on the Bengals. And Cleveland went in there and really dominated that game from start to finish. Denzel Ward makes the big play, picks six to the house. That really changed the momentum. The Bengals were able, uh, able to get a touchdown to tie the game, but that was the closest they would get as the Browns ended up winning by a final score of 41 to 16. Both of these teams are now five and four, and the Browns, as of now, will have the tiebreaker with the head-to-head -head win. So, Will, I'm looking at not only the AFC North, but really the AFC as a whole right now. I think this is a pretty wide open conference. I don't think there is a particularly great team in the AFC. I really think that if you get in the playoffs in the AFC, you are going to be able to at least have a chance to make some damage. And when we look at these two teams, Cincinnati, they started off their season great, 5-2. and two. We were both on this show talking about Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, how great they were. But they have now lost back-to-back -back games to the Jets, and they get blown out at home by the Browns. So when you compare these two teams, which team would you feel more optimistic about going forward? And what were your reactions from the game yesterday? Well, I would say this. If I had to say which team that I would feel more optimistic about, it would probably have to be the Cleveland Browns. Not because they won the head-to-head. -head. I know it could be so easy to go that route. But because I do feel like there is a difference with OBJ out of the lineup. Now, that's not indicative of OBJ. That's not his fault. You know, he just wasn't a good fit with the team. And I think that we have to come to that realization that um, he just wasn't a good fit. It didn't work out well. The system does not evolve or involve, you know, um, OBJ. It, it, it's not meant for OBJ to have an impact on the game the way how Kevin Skafanski wants his guys out there being a one first team you know being a team that likes to do a lot of underneath routes and obviously take the shots when necessary and not force the shots which is different when you have a superstar talent like OBJ because Baker Mayfield does not feel comfortable he's in the pocket he knows he has a star that has a media presence with him a superstar social media presence with him and he feels in the pocket man I'm over here, we winning, but I'm not getting this guy the ball. They're going, He's going to be on my ass to get him the ball. That can obviously upset you and your thinking in your brain when you're in the pocket. So now I find it no coincidence, right, that when he's not in the lineup, the offense just looks good. He gets hurt last year. He tore his ACL. Immediately, 
they balling out immediately. It didn't take a, a, a game. It didn't take a half. Immediately, once he get hurt, Baker Mayfield looks like a totally different quarterback. Immediately. And they took that momentum, drove it into the playoffs in the wild court, beat the Steelers with it, and then obviously came to their maker, which was in the divisional round, which was a team that represented the Super Bowl in Kansas City. Now, take that how you wish. Now, you get there to this year. I mean, they struggling. They, they looking iffy. The pass the game, Jarvis Landry is off. OBJ, he's off. The offense is off. Now, he obviously gets dropped on waivers, and immediately, Baker Mayfield is back. I mean, the brother was 7 of 8 for 121 yards in the first half. In the first half here. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I said it before. They should have traded OBJ at the deadline before they dropped him on waivers because I feel like he, Donovan Peoples-Jones, has a better a better rapport with Baker Mayfield. And you also got the rookie shorts over there as well. So th those could be your two cornerstones along with Landry and your running game. So I would say if I had to choose two teams, it would be the Browns. Because the Bengals, week to week, is showing me more than more that they're a facade. You know, there was a team that Jamal Chase was was going crazy. Um, and now we came back to reality. The brother had a couple drops in the game that could have been touchdowns to make the game a little bit more competitive on a scoreboard. But, um, yeah, listen, the great teams in the NFL, even the great teams, they're going to have a little bump in the road. So for us to feel that the Bengals, a team that wasn't experienced enough in winning since the days that they made the playoffs under... Um, my dude, head coach, uh, oh my God. Um, Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton at the helm. They had to face some adversity. They had to come to reality, you know? And I think that we got that reality check. Like I said, we talk about teams having their reality check. This is the reality check episode, to be quite frank with you. And the Bengals got their dose of reality that there's still levels to this, right? They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Browns. The Browns still own Ohio. And they showed that based on their performance, and they have a structure to win. You know, that's why I think that makes the Baker Mayfield whole contract situation even more puzzling and questionable because they have their formula to win games, which could be done with any quarterback at the helm for that matter. But, um, yeah, i leave it that there. I think when you get to the AFC South as a whole, and I'll leave you with this, Zach, to give you a take, I think, to be quite frank with you, Zach, this might be. You talk about the AFC being wide open. There's not no clear-cut team in the AFC that we look at and say, uh-huh, that's the team. Maybe we don't disrespect to the Titans because they did have the best last four strength of record. But staying in the AFC North, staying there, it might be the Ravens here. I think the stars are aligning slowly and unfolding to show that this year may be the Ravens' year. This team that was great in the regular season, um, was able to get to the playoffs, had some playoff exits, whether it be the first round, second round, I think this year is shaping up for it to be the Ravens' year despite all the injuries coming into the year. Watch out for the Ravens, man. It might be the year. Yeah, so a quick comment on the Ravens. I just think they're going to go really as far as Lamar Jackson takes them. And he's so good that he could take them very far. Uh, he, in my opinion, I said it on last week's show, like I think he should be the MVP of the league just because the team is so built around him and he's producing, especially in the big moments. He's made so many clutch plays. And I feel like if you take him off the Ravens, they're absolutely lost right now. That was a nice win yesterday, comeback win against the Vikings. My issue is, as you said, they're super banged up and their defense is bad. It's not as good as it's historically been. They give up a lot of points. So that's going to be a concern. You trust Coach Harbaugh, but they're definitely a contender. Once again, I feel like if you make the AFC playoffs, you're going to have a chance to win. 
But talking about Cleveland, I was impressed with the Browns yesterday because the Odell Beckham fiasco that was going on, um, it was really dealing with this team for a whole week. And they were in the news for a whole week. And I think over the last couple of years, which has made this Cleveland Brown story and this turnaround so inspiring is that they were literally the circus of the NFL. They were always distractions. This team was always going 0-17. They could never find a franchise quarterback. The Browns literally were like the Lions. They were football purgatory. And Kevin Stefanski came in right away and he said, no more distractions. We're all about business. We're all about football. And I think that culture that he set it set in in the playoff game last year against Pittsburgh when he didn't even coach and they travel without him and win that game. I think the culture that he has established in Cleveland of it is all about football, no off the field shenanigans. I think that helped the Browns in their prep for this week's game because I feel like Browns teams of the past would have just let this get out of hand. But you could just tell they, the players were all and they said, look, if Odell wants to be here, he's our teammate. We'll happily take him back. If not, it's not a good fit. Let him go somewhere else. It's not a big deal. So I was impressed with the way the Browns maintained their level of focus throughout the week. But I agree with you. They are just clearly a better team without him. And it's a bad fit. Personally, I'm kind of mixed on Odell Beckham. I still think he's a better player than the way he performed in uh, Cleveland. And I do think that you will be able, if you're a contender, I, I will give him respect that he basically got out of his contract uh, because if he basically took $7 million less so to avoid being claimed by a bad team like the Texans or the Lions, one of those first teams in the waiver wire mix. So a contender could sign him for less money. I'll give him credit for that. He's all about football. And I never doubted that. Like he wants to win. I just think his personality sometimes could come off a little bad. And the way it ended in New York, the way it ended in Cleveland, it wasn't good. But the point is the Browns are better without him. Baker Mayfield looks so more comfortable. They were able to run the ball. Their defense stepped up in a while and they should have some positive vibes based on what we saw last year, the way this team stepped up without him and the way that Baker Mayfield played. I think there's a uh, room for optimism. The offense just looked better. And without OBJ, uh, his fault or not, maybe just not a good fit. I do uh, give Cleveland credit and take them seriously. I do. When we talk about OBJ, we have to really be careful in regards to how we can perceive this situation with OBJ. Simply because we don't know the dynamics. We don't know why he didn't get the ball as much as he did. We don't know if his lack of success was you know, tailor-made for uh, a situation where, should I say, it was his fault or whatever it was, I do believe he has more to offer. Clearly, I, I really do. And sometimes you could be in a situation where you don't ask to be in a situation. You have to deal with that situation for however long you have to deal with that situation for. And I think when we get to Cleveland, Baker Mayfield wasn't talking to him enough. That's clear to the eye. If you watch Cleveland and his offense, they were not targeting him. And I think that when you have a superstar personality on your team, whether it was you or whether it was the other, you know, management that got him there, you now have a responsibility to either do two things. Use that player, involve him more in the office, or trade his ass. It's one of the two things. Even if you wasn't the guy that made but, but that here's deal. here's the question, though. Is he Odell supposed to Because I'm not sure, bro. I'm really not. How? I think we'll find that answer out as soon as we get to where he's going to go next. Because like I said, certain situations matter. You know, continuity with your quarterback is a big thing. That's why Devontae Adams, you take Aaron Rodgers away from Devontae Adams. He's still probably a top seven wide receiver. I don't know if I would say he's number one, 
That's the difference between between having a quarterback that you have that continuity with, where he can make you look just a little bit better than what you may actually be. And I think with Devontae Adams, I don't think he's the most athletic guy. I mean, I could go Mike Evans. I can go a whole lot of guys more athletic than him, run better routes. Maybe you might have to. Um, he's one of the prayer route winners in the game. But what I'm saying is that he gets labeled as the best wide receiver. Why? Because he has that continuity with Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers can make him look good. OBJ don't have that. He doesn't have an Aaron Rodgers. He never did. Even when he had Eli Manning, he had a back end Eli Manning. He never had that guy. Tom Brady, he's able to get Mike Evans and Chris Godwin the ball. Most great wide receivers have great quarterbacks. Right? Unless your name is Calvin Johnson. But even then, you can see that can hinder your resume and your, obviously, your repertoire in when it comes to the rankings and all that. Even though Calvin Johnson was a different breed. We know that. Right? And he had Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is a talented quarterback. Even then. So, they might not win, but he had a, a quarterback. So, what I'm saying is that OBJ didn't have himself a quarterback. Baker Mayfield is not... OBJ's type of quarterback he is a game manager with some skill sets that can help you win regular season games that's how I classify Bacon Mayfield he, he flirts with star potential he's not a star yet in my opinion but he flirts with it he, he has intangibles that are star like but he's mainly a game manager for this team and that doesn't fit well with OBJ so I would like to see OBJ on another roster that will involve him in the office more and let's see how that turns out you know, clearly he wants to win because he wants to join a championship contender. But he also wants some looks. And I can't be mad at him. If I was his agent, I'll tell him the same damn thing. If I was his father, I'll tell him the same damn thing as well. You know, so at the end of the day, we have to look at OBJ and not get caught up in the media hysteria. Because I'm not going to lie. The media will have you thinking it's one way and it might not be that way. Who knows how he is in the locker room with his teammates. Because he's a diva. That don't mean they feel like that in the locker room. Whether or not... You know, OBJ came out the way how he came out towards the end of that stint. How was he before that time when enough was enough? You know, before enough was enough. We don't know that. The media, they always spin a narrative the way how they want to spin it. And that's dangerous. Because if you have your mind made up that this person is this, then you're going to feel that way. If you go to a school and you say, Zach, yo, in my mind, I know I ain't going to like that school. Chances are you go to that school, you ain't going to like it because your mind is already made that you're not going to like it. So we need to be careful when it comes to OBJ and that diva mentality, that bad teammate label that he sometimes get and kind of see where his evolution goes, wherever it goes, whatever with team it goes with, you know, and we'll see what happens when it comes to that. But as far as that is concerned, I, I think I'm pretty much done. Uh, with my yeah, take I, I just have one Browns. quick thing I wanted to say about OBJ and, and then we'll wrap up. I think that I'll throw a theory by you and I'm curious to hear what you think of this. I think that catch he made. Sunday night football against the Dallas Cowboys in this city, in this spot, playing for the New York Giants. I think that changed a lot of things for him. This is a guy that was always a really good football player, but he was 22, 23 years old, coming out of LSU, playing in Louisiana, and all of a sudden, like that, his whole life really changed because of one catch. All of a sudden, he's hanging out with Drake. He's hanging out with all the superstars around New York City. And obviously, what OBJ did, his first three years in the NFL were phenomenal. He was on a historically great pace. I think the comparison is Randy Moss. And I'm not saying OBJ is Randy Moss from a talent or ability standpoint. Randy Moss is one of the best receivers of all time. I just mean that we saw Randy Moss, when he came into the league, he dominated with the Vikings. He was one of the best receivers in the NFL. And it, it didn't end well there. 
just like it didn't end well with the Giants. So what did the, the Vikings do? They trade him to the Raiders, a, a, an organization that wasn't great, and he was awful. There were plenty of people back in 2006 that were questioning, is Randy Moss done? And, if, and, and is he washed? And then he goes to the Patriots, we know what happens. He put together a great stretch there. If Randy Moss fails in New England, I don't think that other teams were going to be willing to pick him up based on which would have been the lack of production. And I'm not saying he's a bad teammate. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. OBJ, there's never been a teammate that has complained about him. There's never been an off-the-field issue with him. He's been good. All I'm saying is the teams he's been with, it just hasn't ended well for whatever reason. And based on his flair and personality, if I'm a contender that would – like if I'm a team like – I know I bring them up all the time, but Kansas City – Josh Gordon, it hasn't worked. Like, they need a second wide receiver. If you're a championship contender that is willing to bring in a, another wide receiver to go all in for a championship, I think it's worth it, possibly. But at the same time, I think a lot has gone down with OBJ since that catch. And based on the numbers, his production has just been going down and down and down and getting worse throughout each year. So that's a concerning sign, no doubt. I mean, I would assume that his production will go down as the targets go down. I think that's obvious logic right there the targets go down where the production goes down with it you cannot produce i'll produce your target share you know most that, in most cases i understand you're not a big baker guy but is that like you're like is that all baker's fault or no it's some of it is baking some of it is a, is a scheme the fit the system a lot of it has to do with Kevin. I, I, i'm just not as convinced as you are that this guy My thing is still a, a, product, a productive player. And based on everything that's happened off the field, I'm trying to determine what his value is and if he's worth My, bringing my in. thing here is, is that the Randy Moss was a good insight too. But look at it like this. We talk about the Giants. You, you made a point that I want to reflect on and emphasize, right, and, and dive into that. You talked about everywhere OBJ has been, it hasn't worked. Okay, cool. Let's go back to the Giants before they traded him. He was basically the scapegoat because we're the Giants today. Still dysfunctional may not be the dysfunctional outside noise type of franchise, but on the field dysfunctional. You know, even with a good head coach, you can argue Joe Judge. He's this no nonsense, tolerant guy. But on the field, they don't play like how he coach. So even though they trade OBJ, they may have won the OBJ trade based on how you, you know, consider it. They still haven't changed that. What have they won since OBJ left? The same thing they won when he was there absolutely nothing nothing so at the end of the day yeah we can talk about obj and you know what he meant to that organization or what he didn't meant what he didn't do for that organization where's that organization now nowhere to be found i mean they, they dysfunction on the field yeah so you go to the browns you know you go to the browns you're not getting the targets you know listen i, I just can't put all the blame on obj because like i said i don't think neither am i receivers and running backs are different He's not a running back. Why are we treating him like a running back? Like he all of a sudden fell off a cliff after one year. He was talented, and then all of a sudden he fell off a cliff. He's not a running back, bro. He's a wide receiver. He still got fresh legs. He was out for last year. You know he's rehabbing. He still got fresh legs. Yeah, I'm I just pretty sure like, once he get picked whether up, whether whose fault it is, I just haven't seen the production since twenty sixteen. Like I, I haven't seen the targets. I, I the targets has not been there. The targets maybe, has not been there. Yeah, I, I, it's wherever he goes. All I'm saying, bro, it's a huge stop because if this doesn't work, he could be looking at a, a short stint left in the NFL. You know, your career comes and goes so fast. So wherever he decides to go, it, it's huge. It's going to be big. I mean, I would say this, and I would end here. From what I watch, like highlights and films, because you know I don't really have a life out of his act. 
I don't got life outside of in the huddle. My in the huddle life revolves around doing stuff for Can You Dig Sports and watching film and watching sports and, and coming up with content. That's my 24-7 life. So I'm in the lab, okay? I spend the night in the lab. I wake up in the lab. I'm always in the lab. And when I watch the Browns and I watch OBJ, just to get an idea of why is he not involved in the offense? Listen, the brother's clearly open on a lot of plays. OBJ, um, Baker Mayfield, whatever it was, was it Baker? Was it the system? Baker Mayfield did not look his way. He was open. That shows to me that he knows how to get open. He still could run routes good. So that shows you that he didn't lose a step too much running routes because clearly he's open. Now, can he catch the ball? I guess we have to figure that out when somebody throws in the ball. Talking about uh, the game of the week, 425 yesterday on Fox, the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. If you missed it, anyone, Kansas City pulls away uh, with the win 13-7. to And talking about this game, I have a couple observations from the start. The first was that if Aaron Rodgers plays, odds are the Packers win by a large margin. And when you consider some of the other stuff that went down in the NFC, first of all, the Buccaneers, Props to them. They didn't even play, and they were the biggest winner of the weekend. When you look at uh, the Rams going down, you look at the Cowboys going down, even the Saints going down, the Panthers going down, uh, which will help them in the NFC South. But um, the Buc the Bucks didn't even play, and all these contenders across the NFC lost. And if I was a Packer fan, I'd be frustrated because I think this game was so winnable. I, I think your quarterback kind of cost you the game yesterday, only, put, uh, only having to put up seven points against – the Kansas City Chiefs defense, and look, Jordan Love, I never loved the guy. I, I don't think that he was a draft pick that was worth risking your future of Aaron Rodgers for. But at the same time, he, he doesn't wow me in any way. Like his arm strength, his athleticism, he's just not a guy that circles anything off the charts. And the problem is he's not a rookie. Like he was in the NFL last year and he looked like it was his first time playing football yesterday. I just think the Packers really never had a chance from start to finish with him at quarterback, especially against that Chiefs defense, which he couldn't score against. If I'm a Packer fan, I'm kind of frustrated that my quarterback wasn't out there yesterday. And if he was, my team would have won the game and would be in first place in the NFC right now and with home field advantage. So if I'm a Packer fan, I'm super frustrated about that. For the Chiefs, I'll give their defense credit. It's been playing much better. We were, including myself, rightfully so, considering this defense to be one of the worst defenses in football history. Very slowly, they're climbing their way. They're getting a little bit better. Daniel Jones looked pretty good yesterday for the Giants. They did a good job against him. Shut out the Titans in the second half of that game and really won them the game yesterday uh, against Green Bay. But the Chiefs offense is still a huge concern. There is something off with this offense. And the one thing I will say when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, this is a guy that has been great throughout his career, right? He literally got into the NFL and I've never seen a quarterback for his first three years just dominate and make it look so easy like he has. But this is the first time in the NFL he's dealing with a little bit of adversity. We watch the Chiefs. Clearly, they're not as good as they've been in years past. But I hate to say it, bro. His wife and his brother being out here on TikTok, his brother has already been in trouble two times with the league for dumb reasons. His wife is really into football and she'll get with arguments with fans on Twitter. There was that video that went viral of them all at dinner and Patrick Mahomes eating the chip. And he's in a weird spot because 
Like, these are his loved ones. Like, they're famous because of him. And this is their first time in the fame. So I think that has been getting to him a little bit. The fact that he's a first-time dad, maybe that's been getting to him a little bit. There have been a lot of things. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to find a, a reason for it, for, for the struggles that he's had uh, so far this season. And the Chiefs' offense has been bad. Like, th it's weird because the first four games... The defense and the turnovers were a huge problem, but statistically, the Chiefs' offense was still very well. The last five games, their offense has been bad, and they need to be better if they want to win games. The one thing I will say, if you're a Chief fan, I think Mahomes has the yips right now. I think he's clearly off. He's missing a lot of throws, and that happens to a lot of quarterbacks, but it's it, it, you can recover from it. I feel like I've heard a lot of people say the yips are one of those things where everyone gets them, but once you find your way back, once you're able to make that one big throw, you can maybe start to recover from it and start to gain a little bit more confidence. It's almost like when you're in a slump batting-wise in baseball, when you just can't get hit or you miss a, a, a shoot three-point shooter in basketball, just miss a shot after shot after shot about the repetition. I was impressed that Mahomes, with the game on the line yesterday, third and 10, when he played terrible the whole game, was able to make a vintage Mahomes throw in the pocket, getting away from the pressure, and throwing an absolute laser uh, to Tyreek Hill to clinch the game for Kansas City. I think that when you look at the Chiefs, they're, they're, the AFC West is still wide open. They have a huge Sunday night game against the Raiders this week on the road. If they can win that game, they all of a sudden, in a wide open AFC, could be right back, at least in the conversation. And uh, they uh, got found a way to, to get the the job done yesterday their offense obviously needs to be better all right there's a lot to unpack um from both sides so i'm gonna do my best to make sure that i'm going through things strategically and not all over the damn place because this is a very 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 generic type of topic that we have here a lot to get into so let me start off by saying this i'm pretty sure what was evident yesterday as a takeaway is that the Packers will rather have a unvaccinated Aaron Rodgers compared to a fully vaccinated Jordan Love. I think that was kind of clear and evident. Not all indicative of Jordan Love, and I'm going to tell you why, but a lot of it was because there's a lot of things that go into having Jordan Love playing good football. And I'm pretty sure the Packers don't want to deal with that responsibility because clearly they didn't have that responsibility. They didn't want to take on that responsibility, but they were forced to. And that's a whole different ball game. So now when we get to Aaron Rodgers, starting off with him, and then we could go into the performance of Jordan Love, then we could talk about the Chiefs. Aaron Rodgers, this situation is very, very, very frustrating for me. It's frustrating for you, Zach. It's frustrating for a lot of people. Because number one, it's frustrating for different ways. Um, some people want to see Aaron Rodgers on the football field, clearly. we A lot of people want to see the Mahomes-Rodgers battle. For the first time, you know, we got it. We didn't get to see it last year. They wanted to see it this year. That's why the game was designated to be on, you know, a prime time for in the afternoon type of slot. You know, obviously for the viewers to watch it. Clearly it didn't happen because clearly Rogers was unvaccinated. Me, my frustration comes and lies with people making it seem like Aaron Rodgers really went out and like like there's a way that you could um get around the topic we all had instances where we didn't lie to our parents but we didn't tell them the full truth either it was kind of like one of those things where it's like yeah you know it's a generic like type of situation where we didn't tell them the full truth but we didn't lie it didn't go down as a book as a lie and we felt comfortable because we didn't lie and i think when we get to aaron Rodgers and his comments about being immunized or whatever the term is he didn't really fully you know Lied. It was just like, okay, leading people on to believe that you were vaccinated, which he clearly was not. So I think when you have people like Terry Bradshaw 
coming out of his mouth to call him out his name. Or you have articles when you type in Aaron Rodgers. Type in Aaron Rodgers right now. I read it on, on, on Monday's show. You know, I read the headlines. I literally spent five minutes, not five minutes, less than five minutes, reading out all the headlines that's publicized, calling Aaron Rodgers a liar, out of his name. He needs to be banned from the sport. You really going to ban that type of talent? Then you crazy. You ban him from your sport and see what happens to your product. Listen, I may not be the most Aaron Rodgers-like guy because of his cocky persona, but at the same time, I can tell you from being a Tom Brady fan that Aaron Rodgers is a dude. He, I, listen, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best per-talented quarterbacks I've seen with my own two eyes as a Brady fan. So you sit there and eliminate him out of your sport if he plays your sport too or if he works for your corporation and see how that pans out for you. Come on. Stuff like that is just stupid. Why would the NFL get rid of Aaron Rodgers? Honestly, yeah, you're not thinking, clearly. So I think that we need to have this conversation about when we all on the side of however we feel about a vaccine, let's, let's play the game fair on both sides. Don't let the people call us out, call us uneducated, call us people that are ungrateful. We don't care about other people. That's when we need to draw the line. Because guess what? There's going to be a point in time where fire is going to be played with fire. So we have to be respectable for Aaron Rodgers as he does his research. As a lot of people do their research when it comes to a pandemic. Zach, you said one thing in the show that really stood out to me and not for good reasoning. I got to be real with you. And at the time that I heard it, I probably should have said something, but it went over my head. Sometimes you're already thinking about your next take and you're ready going forward with that. So you don't want to reverse back and bring it up. But I do have to bring it up because I think it's a fair notion, you know. And as a guy, like I said, I love doing the show with you. But that one take I didn't really, really appreciate. And there was a take that you started off when we talked about Aaron Rodgers the first time. And you said, I try not to judge people's personal decision on this matter. And when I come back to that statement, I think that you should not. It's clear as day that it's kind of none of your business to judge somebody based on how they feel in regards to a vaccine. It's none of my business what other people may do with their body, fully vaccinated or not. It's not my decision. I don't care. I'm not the be all end all. I don't have no say in your life. And I think that that has to be evident and people in the media needs to learn that it's Aaron Watts' decision. At the end of the day, football is football. We get it. As football fans, we're starving for talent. We want to see Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes. But we do have to come to the realization that even though a team could be affected by Aaron Rodgers not being vaccinated, that he has an obligation to his family. And if his family is on board with him being unvaccinated, then guess what? He needs to stay that way if he feels that way. It's not a team decision. We don't. When has medical records ever been a team decision? It hasn't. At the end of the day, we're living in perilous times. And Aaron Rodgers made that decision. He wasn't there on Sunday. It sucks because this is the type of situation that no matter what side you on, you could agree that this could actually put a dent in the season with the Packers. Well, guess what? That's life. Brooklyn might be without Kyrie Irving for all that they invested in having that big day come over. Come over there and win championships. They may be without Kyrie Irving because I don't see no things changing as far as mandates in New York. It sucks for the Brooklyn Nets. But at the end of the day, it's life. The game was not fair for a lot of people in America. Some people work good jobs that we all want to work. And some people have to do jobs that we don't want to do. Life has never been fair. When has life ever been fair? So let's be real and come to the realization that, yeah, the Packers, you know, they're in prime position to make a Super Bowl. They still can with a fully unvaccinated Rodgers. Now, you can talk here and play odds. What if you catch COVID in the playoffs? Cool. But at the end of the day, life hasn't always been fair for people. And in this case, it may not be fair for Aaron Rodgers. Now, get into the exact Can I just have a, a quick second to okay, respond to that? I just wanted to explain uh, what exactly uh, I meant. Um, so when I said that statement, I just wanted to say – 
no, no matter who you are, it, it is your decision whether you want to get vaccinated or not. And everyone has that right, of course. I'm not one of those people that, you know, it, of course, you can do whatever you want and it's it's your right, uh, your body, your choice, all that, all that stuff. The frustration I had was when it came to Aaron Rodgers. This is a team and this is a guy who... He know like the NFL is his life and he's been around the sport of football so long and just the way that everything has been going on with the Packers and really the way not the us but the way a lot of people uh during the offseason when when Carson Wentz and Kirk Cousins came to the conclusion that they were unvaccinated they were a lot of people that judged them and I agree with you from the sense that I don't think Aaron Rodgers lied I, I don't blame him for for not wanting to share his vaccination status. Of course, he was going to get criticized by a lot of people. I wouldn't want to do that either. So I understand why he dodged that question. And I agree with you. I don't don't think you should get punished for that. All those statements were nonsense. But where the frustration comes in for me is that when it comes to sacrificing and for others, your job is to be an NFL quarterback. And the bottom line is the decision, whether we like it or not, the decision he made cost him from being on the field as an NFL quarterback. And I just feel like when we put Aaron Rodgers in the same conversation as some of the other elite quarterbacks, like I don't think Tom Brady would miss a game for for not being vaccinated. If he ever, or any other elite quarterback, if you tell that quarterback, the only way you're playing, however you feel about the vaccine, the only way you're playing is if you get that, I feel like most quarterbacks would say, okay, I'm sacrificing for my team because that's what it's going to take for us to win a championship. Well, I see the point that you're bringing up, and I'm going to have to respond to that. Tom Brady, obviously, some people, they get caught up in... The, 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 you know, the lifestyle, you play this football game, like I said before, let's talk about really the value in football and, and championships, all that is legacies, all that is things that come and go. And Rodgers, we win another championship, what is that really does for his legacy and comparing him to Tom Brady? Clearly, Tom Brady has cemented himself as being the GOAT, clearly, who knows if he has any arguments, what his decision was. Was it related to football? Was he for the vaccine? Was he going to get vaccinated anyway, even if we retire? We don't know that. But when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, clearly, he doesn't feel that he's comfortable and did enough digging to take the vaccine. And why should he? If you don't feel comfortable in doing something, I'm supposed to take something that I don't feel comfortable taking for the safety or for the, you know, for the game, you know, for my teammates. I think that when we get a decision like this, at the end of the day, these are tough decisions that we all have to make. Obviously, people are walking away from $9 million. Ice Cube, he did. Filming a movie. He was going to be able to have a, a movie, a comedy movie, and he turned down $9 million. You really think he really wanted to turn that $9 million, even if he had the money, which he clearly does? No, a bag is a bag. That's why people keep getting rich, because they feel, all right, this is the next step to get another bag, right? They don't stop. But obviously, people have to be forced to, to make a decision that can impact their lives more so than a damn game. And I think that when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, as a team, you have to be respectable to that. You have to understand that, listen, I may have been fully vaccinated because I want to win a championship. And that's all when, that all revolves around my life. But clearly, there's more to life than Aaron Rodgers. Clearly. You know, and I think that we have to understand that. That there's more to life than football. Even though football is a big chunk of your life. And sometimes you can argue makes you have a good life to live. We get it. But Aaron Rodgers had a space in his life where he almost walked away from the game. So why, if you almost walked away from a game, then clearly you don't need the game. So clearly you don't need the vaccine if you don't feel comfortable with taking the jab. Now, 
as it pertains to the game. As we move on to the game, listen, Jordan Love to me, I would say this. Like I said before, he struggled with ball placement. I said it on this episode with Zay. He struggled with ball placement. We get it. You know, I thought there were some opportunities for back shoulder passes that he could have connected on. But listen, the Chiefs made a conservative effort to blitz him 68% of the times on third and fourth downs. I mean, they blitzed the brother throughout the whole game. I thought Matt LaFleur didn't put him in the best predicament to be successful because in an instance like that, that means you have to get the ball out of his hands quicker. Bootlegs, play action, whatever it is to offset a defense that's bringing heavy zero blitz. You have to be able to combat that. He clearly didn't. The special teams was clearly awful. They missed two field goal kicks. They were terrible. They muffed the punt. I mean, listen, we could talk about the Chiefs, and we'll get to them in a minute. But like I said, they did not do everything around Jordan Love for Jordan Love to be successful. Now, you can take the game as a takeaway that Jordan Love is not the answer. I'm not going to fight you with that. But what I'm saying is that they didn't do their best. When you have a rookie quarterback on short notice, when Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID and he has no practice reps, he has no continuity with Devontae Adams, then you have to make sure everything around him is going right. Everything is going good. And he's the reason why you're losing on winning. Not the team, not the special teams, not the errors. It's either him and that's it. Well, clearly it wasn't that way. So I can't pull all my stock and give a perfect synopsis on what I think about Jordan Love and as it pertains for him in the future being that heir apparent um, Aaron Rodgers. I can't really give you a definitive answer because I can't use this game. But as we get to the Chiefs here, and you Just know, we'll about the Packers and the point you made. Would, would you blame that on LaFleur or just yeah, the- absolutely, absolutely. He even took ownership. He even took ownership after the game and said he could have coached the game better. He, he he basically told on himself that he clearly didn't have him ready to play. And it was evident. Like I said before, I'm not saying that Jordan Love showed a lot of flashes that I take away and say, oh, that dude is a bad dude. He's a dude. No, I didn't get that. But at the same time, I didn't get the performance around him and everything just breaking down. The offensive line clearly had breakdowns of protection. Clearly throughout the whole game, it was a breakdown of protection. He was not protected. And he doesn't have that continuity. A lot of the things that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have is broken down plays that Adam, Aaron Rodgers knows where Devontae Adams is going to be. I see where Aaron Rodgers is being blitzed and the pocket is collapsing and he just knows where Adam, Adams is going to be. Whether it's back shoulder, whatever, he's going to be there. He knows that. Jordan Love doesn't have that to bail him out. Clearly, he doesn't. So, yeah, I have to put majority, like a, a good 80, 75, 80% of the blame on Matt LaFleur in this case. When it comes to the Packers. As far as the Chiefs is concerned, I hear it every week. We could come up with, you know, all different scenarios and alternative reasoning for Patrick Mahomes' struggles. Clearly, he should have had more interceptions in that game. He threw an interception to Kevin King that he dropped. I mean, he's not playing good football, clearly. I don't know what it is in his personal life, whether it's personal or on the football field. He's not playing good football at all right now. Clearly not the best quarterback in the league because, like I said before, i seen Deshaun Watson play with less and look good with less. So he's clearly not that guy that we thought he was. He's probably still the top five, whatever. He's not the best in the football world of being the best quarterback in the NFL. I'll leave that there. As far as the Chiefs is concerned, I still haven't been impressed. Um, yeah, like I said before, they left a lot of opportunities on the field. And if Aaron Rodgers is pretty that ex- self-explanatory. You said it to start off your take, Zach. If Aaron Rodgers was there, the Packers would have won this game. I think that's evident. So Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. Jordan Love was. 
They took advantage. Being at home, took advantage of a rookie being on the center, was able to blitz. They wasn't blitzing like that with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. Come on. It wasn't doing that. It was an advantage that they had that they won the game and the offense couldn't put up points. The Packers, that is, that left that window open. Most teams with a high-obtained offense would have put the Chiefs out of their misery. I'm not impressed. I'm not buying the excuses. The Chiefs are a bad football team, and we need to come to the realization that they are. We think that they have this switch where they can turn it on. It's not. They don't, they don't have that switch. They're a bad football team. They're not what we thought they were, and we have to come to the realization of that. There's a lot of cockiness. Listen, I see Patrick Mahomes throw a bad pass, and this is Patrick Mahomes. You know, you know, like I'm Superman. Come in, come in, come in. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to have a level of urgency and play with it. They're not playing with it. They're playing as if they know that they are great and they can do a little downfield pass and then they're back in the game. Once they realize that they're all bad football team and they work on getting better, then we may see a Chiefs team that we thought we would have saw coming into this year. At least y'all, not me. I knew the Chiefs were going to be in this type of timing, so I take credit for that. But yeah, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. And as far as the Packers, we'll see how this whole Aaron Rodgers situation looms going forward. Because yeah, we may disagree when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and his sacrifice to the team and what that actually means for him personally and the team. We could disagree. But we can agree that this right here, this whole situation, who we point the fingers at, could have an impact on the Packers going forward. Because they had that momentum going into this game. Beating a hot arrows on a team, and now you lose here, and who knows what happens down the line, and how and watch the scrutiny, how that impacts the locker room and this team going forward. Because look, one more thing, Zach. Granted, this is why you don't want to give yourself a bad image going into the year and bringing a lot of baggage because you may need to have a situation where it's not your fault. You know, when he came out and he did all that with the offseason heroics and all that, staying away from the team. He brought a lot of baggage on the team. And clearly... I mean, you saw baggage, Jordan Love play yesterday. Do you blame him? You know, he, listen. <laughs> he brought a lot of baggage. And now you have this situation. No point intended. Like I said, it's his decision. We got to accept that. But that is baggage coming with that. We can't, we can't admit that's baggage, even though it's not... You know, you can argue. Like I said, you can argue. You can blame the mandates. You can blame... Blame the unfair advantage that fully vaccinated players have. We could get it. With it up. He already bought baggage. And now it's another set in the world. That's why I didn't like the baggage that he bought in the summertime. Because if you knew you wasn't going to be vaccinated. And you might catch COVID. Chances are you were probably going to bring baggage then. So now you have to outweigh the situations and say, listen. Did we see enough, enough from Jordan Love yesterday? That wants us to move on from Aaron Rodgers. Or letting him move on from us. Despite all the baggage that he has bought coming into the season. Or did you look at that performance and say, we need Aaron Rodgers. Fully unvaccinated, baggage, we still need him. Those are questions they got to answer. Yeah, man. I think that, like, everything you said is why, if I'm a Packer fan, like, that just makes this loss more and more frustrating. Is that, like, literally the Chiefs played terribly yesterday, and you still uh, could have won, would have won if Rodgers was that quarterback. One thing I will say about Kansas City, I agree with you. When you watch them, especially on offense, they're not a good team. But with that being said, they are still right in the mix. They are five and four. The Chargers and Raiders are five and three. They have a huge Sunday night football game next week. Chiefs at Raiders, winner of that game, will be in first place in the AFC West. And when it comes to Kansas City, uh, like, I just think they're the kind of team that even though they've really struggled and they have not really looked good at all, I just feel like they're a sleeping giant in some sense where I'm not even, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl or anything, but if they 
find a way to get into the playoffs, which is possible. They're five and four. The other two teams in their division are five and three. Denver is right there at five and four. The AFC West still has a lot to be uh, determined. I just think they're one of those teams where, given their uh, history of winning and their experience and everything they've been through uh, together as a unit, they're just not a team that you want to see in the playoffs. And they wouldn't be a team that if they went on a little bit of a run, I don't think that would shock a lot of people. And the fact that they're not playing good football and they are five and four, I just think that needs to be acknowledged. I think what needs to be acknowledged is that teams are not scared of Kansas City anymore. So it's one thing to go on the road in a hostile environment with one of the best fan bases in the world and play a game there against a hot smoking Chiefs offense. That's a different ball game. You lose a game knowing that you might lose the game going into the game. Now, you a lot of teams, those five teams, beat Kansas City up, or those four teams, beat Kansas City up. They're not scared anymore. So it's a different ball game. Like I said, perception is a is a lot. Well, when you know dude, you I don't know about you. Let me ask you. When you watch the Chiefs, right? Do you think their struggles. Do you think it, it's more of a result of coaches and, and opponents figuring them out, or do you just think it's Mahomes yeah. not playing well? Because I, it's, I, I it's just think Mahomes is not playing it's well. It's a combination right of both. It's clearly because they're not able to have those downfield type of you know plays. And granted, Mahomes is uh, struggling, but he wasn't struggling before. And also, teams all finding out ways to beat them. They're more aggressive with the Chiefs. They change their. Outlook, they take away Tyreek Hill out the game. The Chiefs, and we talked about it, Zach. You was one of the main ones, and myself included, that said the AFC got better. Now, granted, we can sit here and say, well, the AFC is not as good as it looks. That's because the AFC is beating up on each other. Is it that the teams are bad in the AFC, or is it that they're beating up on each other? they that good. So Kansas City cannot just turn it on and expect to go back to the Super Bowl. No, there's teams that are beating up I on each other. I think, and they're better than Kansas City right now. Right. I, I just think, he, here's the thing. So, I think that we're in agreement, right? The AFC got better, and it's a, it's a much deeper conference. The only thing is, I don't think the separation between, like, the Titans, who are technically the one seed right now, and, you know, teams like Buffalo, even other teams that not a lot of people consider, like, you know, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Chiefs. I would like, say this. I would say this. Like, I don't think the difference that much. Head-to-head, head, I don't care where the stadium is played or where you play in the stadium. Head-to-head, head, I'll take the Titans right now over the Chiefs. I'll take the Ravens over the Chiefs right now. Right? I'll right, take right. the Chargers no, over course. the Chiefs. i even take the Raiders over the Chiefs. So basically, what I'm implying to you is that I don't care if the Chiefs are on the road or at home. Those teams, I'm taking over the Chiefs right now. And right. that's the and, reason to be worried. Because I, I wouldn't right. have taken them last year. By the way, neither would I. But I think the key statement you made is right now. Who knows when we get to January? I think this Chiefs team who knows is too be good to struggle this much throughout a full season. We have to disagree because at the end of the day, Zach, at the end of the day, it's only going to get tougher. I mean, they, you talk about the standing they schedule right now. Going up against the Raiders, they still got – um who else they got on their schedule? Let's put up their schedule real quick. Dallas. They got Dallas. Those are tough games. Those are divisional games, tough games. It's like, yeah – you may think they're going to have an all-spitch, but their schedule is getting tougher as the season is going on. You got them. You got to worry about. You got the Bengals on the road. I mean, granted, the Bengals at home is still a dangerous team. You got the Steelers with that high-obtained defense that can shut down Kansas City. I mean, it's, the, the schedule is not easing it up. So we just think they're going to automatically turn it on? No, I don't think so. I think you need to be worried. I think a lot of people, once again, I don't know how Kansas City is getting this this leash on people's minds and brains that, you know, they are invincible. This is the NFL. 
This NFL, we know the records with teams that lose Super Bowls. Where have we stopped going? Where in football have we stopped going along with history? And say, you know what? We're going to alter history and we're going to go the opposite. We know history is history. We know it. But yet, we still holding on to the Chiefs. I don't get it, y'all. I, I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, one, one thing it. I will say, and I think one statement that we're in definite agreement with is the Chiefs, the, the way they're playing right now, they're, they're not a good football team. And they, they need to be better. But there are some signs, especially on defense. Like, once again, their defense was historically bad to start the season and i i always said like i i, I never expected their defense to be the the 89 the 85 bears but i just wanted their defense to be like top 20 just kind of how it was in the super bowl year give them a chance to win and if you're a chief fan the frustrating thing is is that yesterday when you had the special teams advantage their special teams have been really good kept them in the game their defense uh was very good and the offense which historically you've been able to trust as the top uh, go-to unit over the last couple of years that has not been showing up and that's frustrating but i think where the optimism possibly is coming for chief fans is with a long season an 18 game season and the pedigree of this group there if their offense does turn it around by any chance they are still a dangerous football team based on the way they've been playing on defense and the pedigree I would say this. I don't deal with the ifs, ands, or buts. I deal with the what's up. What's happening right no, now. No, and we agree. Right and now, right they're now, not a good team. The but they're 5-4. The they, they haven't played badly enough to completely eliminate themselves. As bad as they've been, they've been the most disappointing team in the NFL. And still, with that being said, they're still right in the middle of the playoff race. Still got half a season to go. I would say to you and a lot of fans, not to me. Like I said, I've seen this coming. The most disappointing team in the NFL, we, you know, there's a lot of options for that. The Dolphins included. I mean, we could go down the list of, you know, teams that are disappointing this year. But um, look, I would say this and I would end here. My thing here is, Zach, you said they had the number one offseason. I actually went back and looked to where you had them. When we did our top three teams in the offseason, you had them number one. With the revamped offensive line. Clearly, that offensive line has not lived up to that number one ranking that you gave them. Then you talk about throughout the season, even on today's episode, they need to make a move for uh, Odell Beckham Jr., a number two wide receiver, right? And then we still are a believer in this team. Clearly, they haven't made none of those moves. They haven't, you know, got that much help on defense, even though the defense played well yesterday. I mean, that was Jordan Love in the backfield. That was an easy stationary target well, against there. the Giants, too. You know, the Giants, I mean, that's Daniel Jones. We know number one wide receiver being played. The Titans, the Titans literally had A.J. Brown go for over 100 yards. I don't know what we're talking about there. So, yeah, we can sit here and throw teams and, and not look at the context of the game and the situation. But at the same time, what I'm saying is that, yeah, they might be 5-4 and four and the door's not closed. But I just don't think that they are a good football team. No matter if they sneak in the playoffs and get there, I just don't feel the Kansas City Chiefs because I do believe there's something wrong. Because if they would have turned it on, they would have been turning it on. We are halfway through the season. Halfway through the season. Right? They could have turned it on in week three, week four, week five, week six. I don't see in the back end of a schedule, they start to turn it on. I may be wrong. I would admit if I'm wrong. But I think they would have done it right now if they could have. Like I said, you took away some positives from this game. Clearly, you did. But, like I said, Kevin King should have had an interception. Do we look at that game differently if that results in a pick and not a drop? Interception. I mean, come on now. So, yeah, you may have taken, you know, some things that you saw from that game, even though it was 13-7, and Jordan Love actually no, outperformed no, 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 of course. Patrick Mahomes. Jordan Love here. We talk about how bad Jordan Love looked. 
let's have that same um situation with Patrick Mahomes because clearly Jordan Love actually had better stats than Patrick Mahomes. Now I know the W and the win column looks good, but if both teams didn't play good and both quarterbacks didn't look good, then basically Jordan Love outperformed Patrick Mahomes. Now you tell me what you think about that because clearly that's something there. So clearly no, I- Patrick Mahomes ain't playing good ball. No, he's not, of course, and I, I totally understand that. That was a, a bad effort, and once again, like, the last five games he's played have been the worst five games of his career. I think he has the yips. I just think he's in a bad, bad slump right now, and I do think that over time, he, he is too good of a player for that to change. Now you're pumped. You gotta get ready for the big payback. All right, well, you mentioned it yesterday. The Arizona Cardinals, they moved to 8-1, going into San Francisco and beating the 49ers by a final score of 31-17. to And I wanted to start this off because I think it is time to have a discussion about Kyle Shanahan. And I'm going to be as candid with you guys as I possibly can. So without further ado, let's do it. When it comes to Kyle Shanahan, he's been in plenty of controversy throughout his coaching career. He, of course, was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons when they blew that 28-3 Super Bowl lead. And that was not his best moment. But I have always said that Dan Quinn was the head coach of that team. That is his team. He should have told Kyle Shanahan, bro, run the ball. We need to take control of the clock. And that was his responsibility, in my opinion. You're the head coach. That loss is on you. In the Super Bowl loss against the Chiefs, yeah, the 49ers had opportunities to win that game, but Patrick Mahomes was special. He made a couple really nice throws in that game. And if Jimmy Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders, the 49ers win that Super Bowl. So I've been a Shanahan defender for a long time. Last year, they were devastated by injuries, devastated by COVID, and I thought they played really hard. They were competitive. But this year was the year when you decided to bring back Jimmy Garoppolo when you drafted Trey Lance with this roster, which they thought was Super Bowl good, the 49ers had some high expectations. And yesterday, the Arizona Cardinals, the team that is first place in the NFC West, a game where San Francisco has a golden opportunity. They're always the team that's complaining about how many injuries they have each and every week. You look at the Cardinals, they're missing Kyler, they're missing Hopkins, they're missing J.J. Watt, Chase Edmonds got hurt, a couple minutes into the game, and they let James Conner, Eno Benjamin, and Colt McCoy run and pass the ball all over them. And Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who I've been very critical of, ran circles around Kyle Shanahan. It was embarrassing. I don't know what happened to this guy, and the Arizona Cardinals deserve credit. Cliff Kingsbury was calling games with confidence yesterday. Vance Joseph, his defense stepped up, and the Cardinals are looking like a legit contender in the nfc they just came in there yesterday they respond you know will i love teams that respond to adversity in great ways and i don't know a better way to respond to adversity than the way the arizona cardinals did going into san francisco yesterday and just kicking the 49ers ass so that was a great effort by them really good bounce back game i think they're in a really good spot going forward when it comes to the 49ers kyle shanahan is a coach that he has control of the entire team. I know John Lynch is the general manager, but John Lynch works for Kyle Shanahan. It's that kind of relationship. He makes all of the personnel decisions. He handpicked every player that was on the field for the San Francisco 49ers yesterday, and they still got destroyed. The game was never close. I don't understand 
why this offense just cannot make big plays. And they had a, a draft class where they drafted some weapons. They drafted Trey Sermon. He's nowhere to be found. He's inactive for this game. They drafted Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo is just throwing the ball seven feet over his wide receiver's head each and every play. I understand Shanahan is the main culprit for the loss, but Jimmy Garoppolo was not good yesterday. If he played in like the, anywhere from 1990 to 2000, when going uh, across the middle when you're open still meant something all of the 49ers receivers would be on injured reserve because they would just get smoked by the defenses jimmy garoppolo is not a good quarterback but with that being said kyle shanahan and the way he's approached this season has really turned me off and he deserves all of the blame there is no reason why the 49ers should be this bad there's no reason why they should be losing eight home games in a row dating back to last year they can't even win as favorites at home against Colt McCoy. They're not a good football team right now. And if I was a 49er fan, when I see guys like Josh Norman and Dre Kirkpatrick out here getting roasted each and every play, it's just very frustrating. And for a guy that I thought was a very good head coach, this year has been a major turnoff. And once again, coaches have bad years. We saw when Sean McVay got to the Super Bowl, he was able to adjust and still be able to put together an offense that was good and dynamic. And Kyle Shanahan has failed to adjust. And he is kind of the king of the kingdom in San Francisco. And it's not really working for the 49ers right now. And I think they are in huge trouble. I really do. It's a lot to unpack when talking about Mr. 28-3. I think we know that. That's why takes will probably be extended here. But where do I start? First of all, let me start with the game. We can talk about Kyle Shanahan after to answer the question. But as far as the game is concerned, I think we do have to take away from the game how good the Cardinals are. Being able to be undermanned. This is a team that when they lost to the Packers, you know, people was like, aha, they were who we thought they were. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. Facade Cardinals. You know, they lost to the Packers. Mm -hmm. I knew it. Well, guess what? They lost Kyler Murray. No problem. Chase Edmonds. No problem. James Conner. Okay. No problem. He's going to perform in this game. 21 carries for 96 yards on the ground. Add 50 or add actually 77 reception yards to that equation. The brother went off. Whether it was screen routes, whatever it was, they got the ball into his hands. I think he just, you know, it's not like he don't get playing time. He gets the minutes with Chase Edmonds there anyway. He get the goal line duties and I think that maybe we might have to give him some more extended duties as far as being that down every down back you know and because he performed he performs well um Chase Edmonds when he comes back he's going to be out for three to four weeks so he's going to have his fair shares of targets there but the Cardinals it was impressive having Colt McCoy there Kyler Murray not there no problem we're going to dominate a familiar foe with that being said when we talk about the 49ers Right, and we talk about Mr. 28-3. I'm referencing Kyle Shanahan, obviously, because of that lapse in the Super Bowl. The last two years, we have to admit that they fell short of expectations. And we have to figure out why. Last year, we blamed the injury bug. That was the reason for they tampered expectations and why they couldn't live up to those lofty expectations, right? We also talk about this year. Well, it's not the injury so-so. I mean, you had injuries to start up the year. You still had talent, you lost. Get those guys back, you lost. So now, what is the bigger question? What is directly affecting this team? And it all, it all falls back to Mr. 28-3 himself. We have to. We put Jimmy Garoppolo in the blender when we talked about his mishaps in the Super Bowl and put it all on him. 
even though he gave his team a 10-point lead and the defensive ball back. That's when, you know, Mr. Kyle Shanahan got too aggressive instead of actually winning out clock and keeping Patrick Mahomes on the bench. But nobody gave him that, you know, kind of fair shares of criticism. It was, oh, he was the guy that led that team there. Jimmy Garoppolo fumbled the ball. Granted, not making excuses for Jimmy Garoppolo. The brother's playing like straight garbage right now. That's clear as day. But didn't you draft Trey Lance? Didn't you? Why did you trade up? Now, this is the thing that I have, the issues, Zach, that I have with Mr. 28-3. And I'm not trying to make it all about me because I'm a Tom Brady guy. Hell, we went to Tampa Bay. We won a championship. I'm pretty damn satisfied. I think we can win another for a brother. But... When we go back to that offseason decision when Tom Brady, we assume, I don't, you know, I don't have connections there, but we assume Tom Brady wanted to go to the 49ers. You have to be certain that Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't care where he got you that year, if it was the Super Bowl. I don't care. You saw it there. You see him in practice. You see him doing the game. I don't care what he where he got you. You have to be sure that that guy is the reason for your team's success. And he's the guy that can take your team to the next level. He, he was iffy with it. He said, you know what? We're going to invest, you know, more in Jimmy G. We're going to go the route with Jimmy G. Okay, cool. Just know that you don't get opportunities like that. When you have the GOAT knocking on your door, you don't get opportunities like that. Now, granted, I know Tom Brady didn't play his best that year. But if you watch the film, because I was able to decipher the performance with the system, you kind of get an answer for, your, for yourselves. And guess what? Tampa Bay made that risk. So what I'm saying is that from that move on, when they decided to bypass the GOAT, stick with Jimmy G, okay, cool. We stick with Jimmy G. He got hurt. All right, cool. It's time for us to find a new quarterback. Now you trade up to draft Trey Lance. When you're trading up to draft a quarterback, that tells me, most cases, that he's going to start more than likely week one. If you're trading up to draft him, why not draft Kyle Pitts then? And one, you or two, George Kittle, you know, Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski-like system with two tight ends, if that wasn't the case. But no. You traded up for, for um, Trey Lance. So now we're back here at this at this point, at this spot. So now when we talk about Kyle Shanahan and his play calling questionable, his record questionable, I think that he do needs to be on the hot seat, me personally. But I do think his job and his future with this team will hinge. We can talk about the contract and how that is. I believe he had like a six-year contract or something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, his, so he gets a, a, a six-year deal to start. And then they decided to give him another six-year deal yeah, yeah, yeah. after the after they, they get liver. the Super Bowl. <laughs> they chop liver with that. This yeah. is why you don't commit long term. You know, it's business. You don't commit long term. I think the Raiders learned that with John Gruden. Um, they learned that. I think the 49ers will learn that going forward as well if they don't get this right. Now, I think where they handle Trey Lance's development is what's going to change the perception back to Kyle Shanahan being the hero. Because right now, he's starting to lose some marbles. Even though there's still people out there holding on to that name, Kyle Shanahan. But I'm looking at him as Mr. 28-3. He will be able to change that perception all around back to being a hero. Depending on the development of Trey Lance. Whenever he decides to put him in the game and we see how he develops as a starting quarterback in this league. Because, Zach, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I'll be straight up here. There's a chance that that might be a bust pick. I don't know. I didn't see enough. For me to label him a bust, I'm not going to go there. But I'm saying, reaching up like that, when you bypass Mac Jones and Justin Fields, there's still a window of opportunity or a window of concern, should I say, that that pick, we don't know if that pick was a deal, was a strike deal, was a, a home run, a, you know, 
a knocking out the ballpark type of pick. We don't know that either. So if it's not, I kid you not, 49ers will be in trouble if that's the case too. Yeah, I think if you're a 49er fan, the problem is right there. You mentioned it. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a good quarterback right now. He cannot win you games. And you have a rookie who isn't getting on the field. And once again, I know we're criticizing Kyle Shanahan. I get that. But there has to be a reason why like Jimmy Garoppolo is struggling this much. The 49ers aren't winning games and Trey Lance still can't get on the field. And that's concerning if you're a 49er fan, because we know that when we look at the NFL in 2021, you should want to get your rookie quarterback on the field as soon as possible, especially when you're seeing a guy like Jimmy G really struggling. But the bottom line is, Lil, like I understand the Cardinals deserve credit and they're a really good team. Cliff Kingsbury coach circles around Shanahan. But think about it. Colt McCoy and James Conner, who is a fine player, but he hasn't had a good ge a game like that since two, three years ago in Pittsburgh. They went into your house in a must-win game and ran all over you. Like, that's unacceptable. That can't happen in a game that you need. And, and they say it a lot, right? You learn more from someone at their worst time opposed to their best time. I'm learning more about Kyle Shanahan right now in his worst time than I am uh, opposed to his one good season because this is a guy that was the messiah of that organization. And whether it's just like the arrogance of blaming others on losses, whether it is just the way he handled the quarterback situation in the preseason, basically refusing to name a starter, going with a two quarterback threat. And this is a guy that's supposed to be, when you're a head coach and you have that power there has to be a good reason for it and unfortunately over the last two years Kyle Shanahan hasn't really gotten the job done personnel wise John Lynch deserves credit as well I don't even know or deserves blame as well I don't know why uh he hasn't made a move I don't know why he isn't there if if, if he doesn't really have any power if it's Kyle Shanahan's team and Kyle handpicked everyone every player on this 49er team and it clearly hasn't worked and there's too much talent for this team to be this bad it's embarrassing it really is I would say this. All I'm asking for from Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to call him by his real name now and be respectful in this take. All I'm asking for from Kyle Shanahan is a sense of direction. All that record, you know, his losing records, yeah, that's cool to bring up. But those are generic things. Those are generic issues. I've seen coaches that have losing records at times during the season because of quarterback issues, whatever. Okay, that's cool. I'm not worried about that. I mean, it is concerning. But let's put that to the side. Record aside, you know, all the other stuff aside. Injuries, whatever, put the, whatever aside. What I want from you is I need to see a sense of direction and you knowing what you're doing. Because we saw you move up to drive Trey Lance. What did that imply to us? Where is the direction in that? Or are you handing the keys over to him slowly? But surely, what, what is it? You know, you talked about a two-quarterback system. We saw it in the preseason where we saw a lot of Trey Lance. Even before Trey Lance got hurt, I thought we would have saw that same thing replicated and duplicated to start off the year. We didn't see Trey Lance in, in a lot of action, game time action, to start the year. So kind of he led us on to think that they may have something up their sleeve in the back, and he showed us a whole different thing. So I want to see the direction is what I'm talking about. The direction from Kyle Shanahan that he knows what the plan is, whether it's give rookies more burn. I mean, Josh Norman out there looking suspect out there. Josh Norman is looking suspect. All right, pack him up. But I just want to know the direction and um, where he's going. Because right now, I mean, you look at the record, maybe, you start, maybe it's time to start giving rookies more minutes. That's starting with Trey Lance once he's healthy. 
and I'm um, seeing what you can do and what you have for next year. Because right now, this year ain't it, man. It's not. Well, you mentioned the sense of direction. Here's the problem. I think that clearly we're seeing right now that Kyle Shanahan doesn't have a sense of direction because he decided to bring back Jimmy Garoppolo, and he did that after trading up and drafting Trey Lance. The reason why he must have brought Jimmy G back was because he must have thought, and I did too, we all did, that this roster outside of the quarterback is really good. And he must have not have thought that Trey Lance as a rookie right away would have been able to take this team to the promised land. That's fine. So he decided to bring back Jimmy Garoppolo based on the assumption that the team around him was good enough to win the Super Bowl. They got to the Super Bowl two years ago. They were very close. But clearly... They're not. I just want. I just want to throw this point in there, and then you could take over. I just want to throw this point in there. The fact of the matter is, right? Okay, cool, fine. You thought Jimmy G, this roster was talented enough to win a championship. Clearly, that hasn't been the case, and clearly, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been performing up to par. So, what does that do to his trade value? Now we gotta talk about that because you basically drafted um, Trey Lance to be his successor, and I'm guessing you thought at some point. Jimmy Garoppolo would be balling with this roster to the point where you can get some trade value for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo throughout the year not look good. What does that do for Jimmy Garoppolo and all you on a tightrope now? It's really not good, bro. This is a quarterback that's making a total of $135 million, five-year deal. That's not good. That is the way that he has played. That's not going to be a contract a lot of teams want. You're probably going to have to attach some first-round picks. They don't have first-round picks. So that is the problem with the 49ers. I'm telling you, like this could be a, an organization that is in trouble for some serious time going forward unless Trey Lance just becomes the savior. Because right now, clearly, we're looking at this roster, and obviously the quarterback is a huge problem, but it's, it's not good enough right now. It's not. And they are a team that had such high expectations. And once again, they, in a game, first of all, eight home losses in a row dating back to last year? That's embarrassing. Eight home losses in front of a very good fan base, in front of... Uh, a fan base that has seen some historically great players, like eight home losses in a row, that Sunday night game against the Colts, the Sunday night game against the Packers. We can go on and on. And you let the Arizona Cardinals, your division rival, when you had a golden opportunity, no Kyler, no Hopkins. And not only did they beat you, they kicked your ass. The game wasn't close. No heart, no guts. Embarrassing performance from the 49ers. And no soul and no identity. Keep on rolling.